I love my little girls more than anything, and I said to myself, oh, no, don't, you can't, don't say that. But I had underestimated him. He went on, I would rather see my little girls die now, still believing in God, than have them grow up under communism and one day die no Alright, go ahead. Alright, welcome back to The Left is Dead, your source for left-wing analysis and satire. I am your host, Jake Anderson, and joining me as always is my co-host, James Carey. Jimmy boy, how you doing? I'm going to be off mic a bunch because I'm sick, but I'm all right, man. Um, uh, let's see. Everyone else's GameStop stock is down. My defense contract stocks are all up. So you people picked wrong. I went with Raytheon. You went with fucking GameStop and AMC. So I'm actually doing well. I, I went with cryptocurrency and I'm, right. I'm, I'm doing quite well as well. Uh, but I didn't know you had invested in defense contractor stocks. Oh, I won't tell you if that's ironic or not. Yeah. I'm going to leave that to the audience to decide. <laughs> maybe that's a joke. Yeah. Maybe my cryptocurrency is a, is a joke, too. I don't take That's not a joke. He's rich. I'm poor. Oh, oh good God. No, I'm not rich. Don't ever think that. He lives in Portland. I mean, it's Portland. I own an entire playground's worth of copper, and that's my entire asset. He, he owns an entire playground on an island like Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, it's like copper statues of children. All right, uh, um, what's in the news? This is getting weird. Uh, yeah, let's talk about the news. Um, yeah, you want to want me to keep going. <laughs> what's up, man? What do you want? What's going on? I mean, we're still waiting. Uh, I don't know, man. It's silent because Biden. Biden's president. Um, yeah, it's been like like alternate universe from Trump. Not only are we not hearing constant verbal abuse from the president, we're not hearing almost anything. And no, because uh, he's I, demented. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I think you know it is taking a while to get this what one point nine trillion dollar stimulus passed. Um, you know, it's been scarcely a month since he's been office. They say they're going to pass it. 1.9 trillion it, that's a lot of money he's gone though he's not there kamala's taking calls with like foreign leaders and shit like that joe biden is not checked in bro that's why you're oh. not hearing from him or seeing him yeah i mean he's he's most likely going to be a a ceremonial president this is going to be uh anytime a neoliberal is president you basically get government by by committee. Well, I don't think he's just. I don't think he's mentally fit. I mean, I think it's a Reagan situation. Was like what I predicted. I think earlier in the show, where you just have a crazy old man who's run by a bunch of demons. <laughs> I mean, it's it's you know, uh, yeah. I mean, that's essentially what we had with Trump as well. It, it, we, we basically had this coterie of right-wing ideologues and pundits yeah, were feeding true. information to Trump and manipulating him into taking this far-right agenda, which frankly, I don't think Trump necessarily came into office wanting to be a total right-wing hack. I think he got manipulated because his ego is so pathetically pliable that he just got manipulated. And I also think he is just also a bigot at heart. And so his natural impulse was to double down on any possible 
thing that could possibly be misconstrued by identity politics people. And it was just like a four-year troll on liberals that happened to be, you know, fascist leaning as well. He's just dumb as hell, man. That was all. He yeah. didn't fucking believe anything. He, he doesn't believe anything. If you think he believes anything or cares, he doesn't care about anything. I know. Yeah. And he, uh, he does not believe in anything. He doesn't care about anyone. It's literally, he does not give a fuck. That's what it was. That's all that, that this dude that just ran because like he didn't, ca- he didn't even care if he won. He didn't, he wasn't trying to fucking win. He was up against that fucking dork Ted Cruz in the end. Who's been trying to win since he was like 18. And he wasn't even trying, and he's just a dumbass who fucking won. He doesn't believe in anything. He's just a fucking, he's a guy from TV, man. Yeah, but oh. now he's a, he, now he's a kingmaker on the right. He's yeah, that's wild. Right. That's the scary thing about Trump is that however dumb and demented he is and was, he has enormous power over right-wing thought right now. Yeah, he'll like making people come to him. Yeah, that's one thing. Yeah, he'll get off on making people come to him to, for the direction of the GOP and having to like, you know, bow to that wing of the party. That's completely insane. Like the Q wing and shit like that. Yeah. Speaking of Q, we this month uh, for those, I don't know how you guys would know since we haven't really announced it yet, but we do next have, month. Next month, sorry, um, we March. We're gonna have some interesting guests on March. Fifth, I believe, is either. Oh no, it's March sixth. Uh, yeah, it'll be, we'll be out having after we'll that. Having yeah. Martin Martin Gettys on uh, to yeah. revisit his myriad failed Q anon predictions, and then we will be having Mike Rothschild, who is a Q critic and has a book coming out on the subject, and uh, he's pretty much like the top known Q critic. So, and he doesn't, he doesn't play around and he doesn't bullshit. Like he, he's going to give straight and brutal straight answers to a lot of different questions. And uh, like, we have fun with Q, like me and you, we, 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 we kind of play around with it. We think it's just this fascinating social phenomenon and we're critical as well, but, but we have fun with it. This Mike Rothschild guy, he, he is like a, a soldier. Yeah, a conspiracy debunking soldier. Yeah, I'm not like deeply online enough to know the whole extent of it or what they're saying or anything like that, you know? Yeah. That gives you brain damage. Right. And uh, today we are going to have, uh, today I interview the transhumanist futurist Zoltan Istvan, who uh, ran for president in 2016 in the transhumanist party and uh, this is kind of our um this is kind of our first foray into transhumanism which i think something that is pretty much invariably going to become a major topic of conversation for the next 20 to 30 years whether you like it or not um but i think we've breached it a little bit but um yeah i mean it's if nothing else it's nice to have a presidential administration that actually believes in science again and I know people are going to think me a like New World Order clown puppet for saying this, but I, I, I do think it's important that we, we stop kind of demonizing science and scientists and the scientific method. 
but lacking a <laughs> yeah. response to that, I will say that, you know, transhumanism, usually people think it's just kind of about, you know, can you live forever? Can rich people live forever? Which is an understandable way to characterize it. Um, yeah, so I don't know. This isn't a subject I'm really too familiar with. So what exactly, because there's people who like consider steroids and shit like transhumanism. So what exactly is this, you know, Zoltan <laughs> position on this? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you're, not in the interview uh if you're gonna <laughs> say, say emphasize his name with a condescending tone <laughs> so what is this zoltan <laughs> no uh no i'm kidding uh, i stumbled over it and i'm not gonna yeah, fix yeah. that so yeah yeah so i mean yeah i mean transhumanism is at its core it's just the belief that the humans are going to eventually use technology integrate technology into their bodies uh, and probably minds as well in order to enhance cognition, eliminate disease, things like that. Um, they're already doing aspects of it. You know, when you when they use uh, nanobots in the bloodstream as a uh, payload delivery system for medication or to clean up free radicals. I mean, there's all kinds of things they're trying to do with it. All of these are applications to transhumanism. So it's you know, it's it's definitely garners a lot of mocking and uh, I don't know uh, scorn and suspicion and and rightly so. I mean, it's kind of a creepy idea, but at the end of the day, like there's a, God, there's a lot of diseases out there that we can there's a lot of diseases out there that you know we can probably cure, and it's we kind of have to do it, you know, if you can cure some diseases, I feel like you probably should. And it's not just about getting rich people to live longer. I think it's about bring, you know, bringing up the standard quality of life for, for as many people as possible. Yeah. I just, I don't know. Again, like you did bring up, I see a problem with uh, mainly freaks like Peter Thiel or Elon Musk, like mm -hmm. the blood transfusion and fucking our mind will be in the cloud type bullshit. And I have a problem with like the idea of cyborgs. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, and there's extreme viewpoints on it. And I just, yeah. the extent it can go to, because even like the shit you're talking about, like the medication delivery systems and shit like that, like those are applications we could have in the next, you know, there's more applications we could have for shit like that in the next five to 10 years. But then like when you factor in AI and fucking like neural implants and shit like that, like, well, but it's going to happen slowly. It's going to be like the old frog in the boiling pot metaphor. I mean, this isn't going to happen overnight. No. And, and you could argue that we're already cyborgs. I mean, like to, to what, ex I mean, 200 years ago, if, if you had, if you cut to now and look at the extent to which, machines and computers and electronics dictate and rule our life. I mean, no, we're not technically uploading our mind to the cloud right now or using like exoskeletons to walk around, but I mean, we're pretty damn well dependent on technology at this point. No, that's not dependency, that's slavery. That's, that's literally like everything in this country's 
in this world is run by like algorithms. That's not even a voluntary thing though. What you're, you know, the application of transhumanism, like some of these technologies are are voluntary and possibly expensive and cost prohibitive things. Right. It's not, it's not somebody at Amazon's choice to have their daily workload dictated by an algorithm made in Seattle, you know? Right. And the, and the cost prohibition of course is, is a huge factor and, and definitely a, you know, worthy of criticism, but I don't know. I think it's just like, it's just a common sense proposal. Like if you have a heart condition that you're going to die from, unless you get a bionic heart and you can get a bionic heart, of course you're going to get the bionic heart. I mean, it's a matter of like, if you can live longer and the technology allows you to live longer, of course you're going to integrate technology into your body. That'd be crazy not to the monkey heart in there and that's i mean that's all transhumanism is is there is there going to be a lot of disagreement and is there a very very wide spectrum of debate uh and and slippery slope discussions absolutely uh, of course but when it breaks right down to it like a lot of people die from preventable diseases and conditions uh particularly in the working class and poor and if a few rich people get to live longer as a collateral result of the technology, I think it's, it's still worth it if hundreds of thousands of, of people get access to new kinds of, of healthcare technology. Well, I'd say on the planet's current trajectory, the better the technology gets, the more the rich will get it. And as the system gets more unequal, the less we will get of it anyway. Probably. So on the current trajectory, yeah. we're fucked. Uh, in my opinion, I, I, you know, I don't, I haven't heard this interview yet. Unfortunately, you know, it hasn't happened yet in this episode. I mean, well, let's get into it. And, yeah. uh, and then we'll come back on the other side and, and, and break it down a little bit. Tech entrepreneur. Yeah. Now during the cave rescue, Musk said he wanted to help. So he created what is now being essentially dubbed as a child submarine. You can see it there in tests. A small child submarine is what people are calling it. He dropped it off in Thailand in case it could have been of any use, and ultimately it was not used. Now, so our guest today is Zoltan Istvan, who is a transhumanist, a journalist, entrepreneur, uh, a, a leading futurist, and he was a, a political candidate who ran for president. And Zoldan also is the author of a very excellent science fiction book, The Transhumanist Wager. And uh, we were in contact um, about four years ago when I was writing for the anti-media and we've kept in contact and I'm glad to have him here. And one of the reasons I think Zoltan is an interesting uh, person is because he's a futurist and he's a transhumanist, but he's taken that interest and that passion into the political sphere, which is somewhat rare, actually. Uh, So let's start off with uh, Zoltan. Uh, Again, thanks for being here. And why don't you explain for our listeners um, who may not know even what transhumanism is in the context of futurism, if you could explain that briefly and then how you got into the political aspect of it. Sure. Well, uh, for your listeners, transhumanism is a social movement now with millions of people around the world that want to use science and technology to radically upgrade the human body and also to upgrade the human experience. It can be anything from exoskeleton suits to brain implants 
to, uh, you know, marrying robots and <laughs> virtual love and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just, it's, it's anything that's radical science and, and technology. Um, but, you know, it, it's also a movement to improve the human being. And when I looked at the political landscape in 2014, thinking about a presidential run, I realized that there, we didn't have any science candidates. We didn't have any candidates that really, you know, had a love of science and a love of reason to want to run. And so I formed the Transhumanist Party and ran for president in 2016 and later ran as a libertarian for uh, governor in California in 2018 and then also ran uh, in 2020 for the presidency um, um, directly against uh, Donald Trump in the Republican primaries. But really, I'm just a science guy trying to spread science and using political, uh, my political agenda as sort of a means of doing that. Excellent. Yeah. And uh, so we have, we, haven't uh, really spoken in a while. And so I haven't gotten your take on a number of things, though I, I do follow you online and, and read your articles and whatnot. But uh, I like the fact that you mentioned how uh, the importance of science is uh, uh, something that's driving this, because normally when people talk about transhumanism, it's in the context of kind of sensationalist articles about living forever are being a flying robot that lives on, on Europa or something like that. But especially now when we're seeing how there is uh, climate change denial and of course more recently COVID denial, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. How do you think your ideas um, resonate right now with the current landscape of needing to uh, kind of make science resonate with people? Well, I think, you know, there's no question that the coronavirus has really inspired a lot of people to say, wow, we really need science sort of to push the human species forward and maybe able to overcome diseases and uh, plagues. And, uh, you know, so that's classic transhumanism and why it's needed. You know, transhumanism isn't just like we want to become robots and, and AI and that's the end of the world. It's, it's really about just making the human being as perfect as it can be. We simply don't believe in what, what people would call natural. We think um, we can use our hands and our, you know, our, our tools to improve the human experience and improve the human being. If that one day means that we become machines ourselves, you know, so be it. But right now, what we want to do is make it so that people don't die from plagues, people don't die from aging, people can live dramatically longer, maybe see their great great grandchildren. You know, one of the main goals of transhumanism is to uh, overcome biological death using uh, science and technology. But, you know, coronavirus has stepped, uh, I guess, made a lot of people who aren't normally into science much more concerned with science. And of course, that's been a big boom for, for the transhumanist movement. Right. And, uh, so any anytime I talk about transhumanism with with people, particularly like social critics and whatnot, in, in, invariably one of the arguments I get into is pushback with regards to, oh well, this is going to be a class-based movement for rich people to live longer, and I sometimes play devil's advocate and argue, well, uh, this technology, you know, a, a rising tide, as they say, lifts all ships. And so with this growing technology, uh, that would translate to things like being able to solve poverty, being able to feed large amounts of people. And I know that's how you think as well, because we've talked about this before. So if you were pretending that I was one of these people arguing that transhumanism is only going to be for like Elon Musk and that kind of ilk, um, how would you respond to that? 
Well, yeah, I, I do think transhumanism will be, uh, you know, for everybody, and it will certainly the, you know, the the, the analogy of uh, the tide rising, all you know, rising and all boats rising with it. That's certainly true. I think um, the more technology we create. Uh, the more people will have access to it, even if it is quite expensive at first, but usually these prices all come down sort of like, you know, the best example is the cell phone where you now have cell phones all around the world. And even some of the poorest villages in Africa, they may not have clean water and enough food, but they certainly have this access to technology. So I think, um, you know, truly the transhumanist uh, movement will be accessible to everybody it is there is still this question that you know how do we keep elon musk from becoming and mark zuckerberg from becoming godlike people and using this technology to sort of outwit the rest of us but i, I generally think that you know there, there is a movement towards a, a decentralized I, I you know ideology of transhumanism where you know you have a lot of impact in your own digital world, uh, maybe access to how you deal with privacy, uh, the different types of technologies that are on the market, you know, there's so many different things coming out. And so I think, you know, in a, in a real capitalistic way, you'll probably have access to protecting yourself so that other people don't get the best you with their technology. I think there's always going to be markets for that. But I just don't worry so much that, um, you know, the 1% become the, the, you know, the super godlike people and the rest of us don't. It, it doesn't really make sense that it makes sense that the vast majority of people get as much access to technology as possible and therefore, uh, you know, create more prosperity for the species as a whole. Uh, and I, and I, I really do believe that that might be idealistic of me, but I think um, we have a better chance of a utopia than a dystopia from technology. And frankly, science and technology has a history of making the world dramatically better. I mean, when you look at why people live twice as long as they did from just even 50, 60 years ago, it's because of science and technology. And I think science and technology will continue to make the world better for the vast majority of people. Uh, it's intriguing to me that you mentioned uh, decentralization because while I am a, a left winger and, and generally believe in, you know, uh, I'm generally have a natural skepticism towards an unregulated free market. However, uh, I am a, a, a cryptocurrency blockchain uh, believer. And so I do believe in aspects of decentralization. Uh, you, as, as a libertarian, I'm sure probably uh, uh, believe in decentralization to an extent more than I do. However, uh, last time we spoke, uh, you did make it clear that you are a supporter of things like universal basic income. And so I, I think in the past, you made it clear you believe in a kind of synergistic relationship between the state and the free market. Uh, is, is that true or have in, in these last four years with Trump, have you leaned more in any direction in terms of being more uh, inclined towards a free market or more uh, wanting the state to get involved with things like COVID and whatnot? Well, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the state getting involved with anything too much. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I would like them to if they could actually prove that they are competent enough to do so. But I also am worried that capitalists get fully involved and then they run, you know, the, the ship into the ground trying to make as much money. So there, there's got to be a good balance. And, you know, while I, I would say, OK, I have many libertarian values, I'm really kind of more of a left leaning libertarian, which is one of the reasons why I support a, a universal basic income. Although I got to say my universal basic income is kind of based on federal land and things like that. So it doesn't necessarily raise taxes per se. And I, I think that's important to state. But I, I do think that 
as we move to the future, um, to be a classical libertarian where you want no state intervention would is basically impossible. I mean, we have 8 billion people on the planet. We'll probably have 10 billion soon. It requires a certain amount of uh, working together in order for the species to to actually maximize what it can do, you know, on planet Earth and later in, in the around the universe, hopefully, as we go to space travel and stuff like that. So uh, that said, I mean, I don't want to push towards some kind of socialistic world either. I think there just has to be a marriage of a competitive forces in play, as well as good leaders who have the, the society, at, you know, at heart. And um, aren't trying to always fill their pockets or just fill their egos with power. And so th there has to be a better marriage than what we have right now. And certainly, you know, if the state and politicians could rise up and actually really serve the people, I would completely support that. It just happens that, you know, right now, a lot of the, the ideas of the hard left are so hard that they're actually harming those of us that might say, oh, look, I'm a left-leaning left libertarian. And that forces us a little bit further to the right, not a place that I wanna be. But I, I think um, you know, maybe that will correct itself and we'll get back to a point. Because you know, in, in an ideal world, I would say everyone should be a centrist and, um, and look at both sides of the picture and try to pick whatever's most functional for the greater good of society. Uh so I, I do want to get more into science, but I want to ask one one more political question here because it's kind of uh, related to uh, this idea that things are that the left is is pushing us left. You know, we just went through, and I haven't gotten too much of your take on this uh, recently. I you know in four years actually, but uh, you know it's we've had four years of of, of Trump, and you know I think it's easy to make the argument that the right has now been pushing more to the right. And so I, I feel like we're almost in this, uh, you know, weird, uh, almost star-like collapse here where, where things are moving so extreme that it's hard to, hard to stay rational. Do you, like, what, what was your take on, on the Trump years? Like, if you were gonna summarize what that's done to us and, and, and even from a science perspective, I mean, is, is that's, that's not the kind, is, that, is this the kind of free market landscape you wanna see uh, what happened under Trump? Well, I, I think to begin with, um, from an economic point of view, Trump did uh, a lot of good things in terms of uh, deregulating a lot of markets so that they could thrive. And naturally, you saw, as a result, the stock market and the economy and things went up. I mean, that, that's just a natural course of action. And I was excited when Trump first took over because I, I, I'm not a big fan of attorneys. And we've had a lawyer after lawyer after lawyer running the country and as well as in Congress. And Trump is a business person. But I got to say that, I mean, over time, the man just made me angry. I, I stopped. Uh, I, I stopped even wanting to read the news because it was always about him. And you know, in the end, I uh, even as someone who had ran as a Republican, I voted for Joe Biden. I simply want someone in the presidency who's going to be quiet and simply do the job with honor. And Trump was making the whole thing about himself, besides the overtones of fascism that constantly were coming from him. And so I, I uh, became um, not an anti-Trumper at the end, but someone who was ready to vote for Joe Biden and, and still am happy I did so. That said, I do think a lot of the economic policies that Trump put forth, and this is outside of his personality, um, were good for the country and have increased, you know, I mean, th there was a lot more minority people in jobs and things like that before COVID hit. Uh, maybe he, maybe Trump handled COVID poorly, but outside of that, we had been doing pretty good. And um, so that had been kind of, uh, you know, 
uh, promising for me. But again, I, you have to separate the character of Trump from his deregulation policies. Uh, you know, and, and Biden, of course, is playing a pretty smart game where Biden, in some people say, might be a pretty good Republican because he's just a kind of a person who's not, who's really centric. And that's what I was saying earlier. Is if you get a centrist in there, it doesn't matter if you're left or right. You just want to keep the status quo going and, and keep the peace. And hopefully people will work hard and make a lot of money. And that seems to be right now with what's happening, even during the COVID crisis. So, uh, you know, I mean, Biden doesn't seem to be overturning dramatically a huge amount of the policies that Trump has done in, in the immediate uh, surrounding. Of course, we have a president who's respectful and honorable now. We don't hear about Joe Biden every day in the news. And that, that's something I actually like. I like to turn on the TV and not have to hear about the shenanigans of my president. And that's uh, president. And that's why uh, I've actually been a big fan so far of, of what Joe Biden has done. Right. I, I think we can definitely agree on, on being happy that uh, Trump's out of there as far as his personality. But let me let me push back or at least ask a question regarding the the the, the economic part or the, the 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 deregulation part of it because we just have seen in the last week an instance where uh, point blank range we see what happens after decades of deregulation when we see the winter storms in Texas that has you know, left the state completely bereft of, of energy solutions, except in a free market context, which has caused people to get these skyrocketing energy bills. And they were just completely unprepared for it. And we see deregulation also when it comes to environmental uh, laws and whatnot. Uh, in the context of the winter storms in Texas and the, the infamously deregulated Texas energy market, uh, does that not dissuade you a little bit from thinking that a completely deregulated energy market works when it, it clearly collapsed in this instance? Well, yeah, it, it did. And of course, this is not something that I would want complete deregulation for because it's the same thing like deregulation from the banking. I mean, I'm not in, in no way. Is it, that's why I'm a left-leaning libertarian. In no way am I saying we need complete anarchy and just everyone does what they want. But I do want to point out, hey, we have pretty tightly regulated markets in California, and we had rolling blackouts last summer. We had tons of fires and tons of poor management of a lot of our own resources. So, I, you know, I just what I try to do is I'm gonna, happy to blame the Republicans in Texas right now and say, hey, you guys blew it. But I'm also going to blame the Democrats in California and say, look, what happened last summer with rolling blackouts, refrigerators, losing you know hundreds of dollars worth of food because you couldn't just keep the power on, um, as well as all the fire stuff. I mean, that's also to be blamed. Somewhere in between, we need politicians who are willing to stand up and not be so fundamental uh, on either the left or the right and just say, well, how can we get it so that we find a better balance between the powers that be so that we can maximize the good for the people? And again, that's why I said, like, what I really look forward, uh, look, you know, to in politicians to lead our country forward is centric people who are balanced and who are willing to say, you know what? What's the good medium here to make everybody happy so that we can get a functional world? Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, all right, let's get into some science here because I, 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 I respect your mind when it comes to uh, transhumanist projections. And I went through a phase where I was obsessed with transhumanism and things like this, the singularity and stuff like that. And since then, I've kind of delved more into true crime and, and stuff like that. So where are we at, right? Like, what, what are some of the projects, you know, for example, I'm incredibly excited about the James Webb uh, telescope that, that's going to be going up. 
what are some of the big science projects or things on the horizon, endeavors on the horizon that really inspire you and get you excited? Well, you know, I, I think everyone knows right now, one of the most exciting things is Elon Musk's um, Neuralink project, which right. you know, is using brain implants to be able to kind of control thoughts and hopefully get into AI and then commune directly with machines. You have animals playing video games and whatnot. And, I, you know, it's just not it's not just Elon Musk's company. There's Brian Johnson's company, Curl. There's all these other universities working on this. And I, I feel like the next big step of evolution is going to be um, direct interface between our brain and machines so that we can think quicker or we can have Google Maps inside our head. And of course, there's going to be a ton of privacy issues and all this other stuff. But in the end of the day, it's going to make things that much more functional in the same way that carrying a cell phone in our pocket has become more functional. And I think it's time, in my opinion, that the human brain is rewired or at least improved in such a way where we can improve our, our intel, intelligence capabilities. And that's one of the biggest projects I'm looking at. But, you know, when you start looking at what's going to make people live longer, I think, say, in the transhumanist community, probably the biggest, uh, you know, field right now is genetic editing. This idea that you would be able to edit out diseases um, on a hereditary level, or you'll be able to create gene therapies that wipe out heart disease so you never actually get it. And of course, heart disease being the number one killer in the world. You know, I mean, these are the big kind of things. And then you get into, you know, beyond things into, I guess, machine worlds where you have artificial intelligence. And there's coming a time, you know, quickly, probably in the next five to eight years, when you're going to hear the open up the news and someone's going to say, look, we've created an artificial intelligence that's smarter than a human being, or at least appears to be smarter than a human being. And even if it's not five to eight years, it's 20 to 25 years, it's going to happen in most people's lifetimes. And that's probably going to be, you know, it's almost like inviting aliens from some other part of the universe on planet Earth. We're going to have entities that simply can outthink us. And whether we choose to merge with them using Elon Musk's Neuralink systems or other people's systems like that, or whether we don't, is going to be one of the central and most profound decisions that humanity has to face in the upcoming, um, you know, uh, part of this century. Right. It's, it's insane. And, you know, I like what you're saying there because I've, I've actually, I've long believed that we're at a point where uh, biologically, like evolution has run its course. And I don't feel like the human race can psychologically evolve to, to bypass destructive biological impulses at this point that I feel like are, are making it impossible for us to to get to the next level of what we need to do. And so that, that, that's why I tend to think that transhumanism uh, is, is an answer for this. And at the same time, it's scary because AI, uh, we, we just have no idea what to expect with that. Uh, so, you know, so I guess, uh, you know, to couple that with a question, I guess I, I would ask like, what, what timeline are you thinking of in terms of, uh, at what point do you think, I'm not going to ask you when you think the singularity is going to be, but but at what point do you think that we are going to face serious everyday questions with regard to AI? I mean, is AI, do you think they're already, do you think it's already evolving out from under us, uh, almost like some kind of group think, or, or do you think uh, it's going to take a you know, a government, for example, uh, a race between the government and the private sector to create the first major AI? And will that AI 
be the last major AI? Will that AI set the course for the rest of it? Well, a um, couple questions there. I, I think to begin with, um, private companies will take, first off, I don't think AI is growing on its own right now. I think um, there's a good chance that AI is controlled by governments, universities, and companies that are working on it. Uh, but I do think within the next five years, there's a strong possibility that we could start testing those uh, boundaries. And I think once we start testing those boundaries, almost certainly the military of a country will get involved. And probably, you know, you know China or uh, United States, maybe Russia will be leading these things. And you're, you know, you're, one day you're going to see a bunch of soldiers at Google. It's just a fact of life. And I'm not saying they're going to go and take it over or something. I'm just going to say that this is too big of a national security issue to let this go in the hands of capitalists um, and to let this go in the hands of inventors and nerds. And mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking about something that is very, very dangerous, could very well figure out quickly how to contain nuclear codes and all these other things. You know, I mean, the Terminator movie is a very good movie for what it actually shows. So we better make sure that that doesn't happen. And I think when that happens, you're going to get a lot of uh, the military involved. Now, don't get me wrong, just because the state is involved doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be that much safer. Uh, you know, there's plenty of dystopian outlooks, uh, you know, output to that as well. But I think what we're going to need is a combination of a bunch of things. And I have advocated for some type of, you know, international uh, cooperation, because the last thing you want to do is have our AI face off with China's AI. And you're right, you know, as you said in your question, Whoever kind of gets, this is what I call the AI imperative, and I wrote about this for Vice, um, you know, whoever achieves the very first and strongest AI is almost certain to have the only lasting AI, because all the other eyes will have to, AIs will have to sort of succumb to the very first. This is unlike a, a nuclear war. You know, in, in nuclear war, it's like, oh, 60% bombs Russia and 40% bombs America or something like that, and everybody gets screwed, but there's still going to be some survivors. But in terms of AI, it's a winner-takes-all scenario. And the reason is that AI will be able to swallow all the other AIs by either sending it viruses or by being able to recode it to become part of its own self. So, uh, you know, whoever gets to that point first is absolutely in charge. And, um, and I think that's why Vladimir Putin said, you know, AI is the most fundamental question of our, of our time, who kind of gets it, because it will determine sort of who actually wins in in terms of power. And I, so I think it's very important that we continue putting all a huge amount of money into it to make sure China or Russia or someone or North Korea, for example, you know, doesn't get there first. And, um, but, you know, you can rest assured that the military is going to have to get involved when it gets a little bit too out there and you start hearing the rumblings at a company like Apple or Google that they've finding, uh, you know, odd things happening with their servers or stuff like that. That's when it's going to be like, okay, we got to get in and make sure that we have a good kill switch to AI, as well as, <clears throat> uh, you know, a good means to control it and, and evolve it. Right. So, okay. So you see, uh, you see, you think it's realistic for for us to imagine a, a harmonious harmonious relationship uh, with, you know, something that's vastly more intelligent than us. You 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 think that we're going to be able to kind of cohabitate or do you see a, a, a scenario in which they basically are kind of a totalitarian overlord and that, that, that allows us to kind of, you know, exist? No, well, you know, the way I actually see it and the way that I advocate as a transhumanist is that we, as soon as we start getting to a point when AI 
is really becoming smart, we begin to merge with it. And there's a good chance uh, within 10 years time, we'll have some of the capabilities to start uploading our consciousness, uploading our value systems, uploading our, a, a huge parts of our personality. And I, you don't have to have 100% of your own personality imbued into AI in order to be a part of it. But if we have a huge, a large amount of it, then we should probably be able to keep AI within the confines of itself. And, you know, they're, you know, as smart as human beings are, I still have the possibility of, you know, taking a, uh, a stock trading, a cryptocurrency account and, you know, trading my passwords so that I can't sell or buy any more stock. And uh, we can, we'll be able to probably teach AI to do the same thing where you simply create switches and locks where you can't change or can't do certain things, no matter how smart you get. And, or at least for a, a, a time and maybe a hundred years in the future, that probably won't work, but at least for the next, you know, five, 10, 25 years, we'll probably be able to have very intelligent machines that are helpful to the human race that we're a part of. And I mean, a part of meaning that it's wired through our brains and stuff like that. And, um, and that way we'll be able to prog, you know, go forward without worrying about AI becoming our overlord as we've become kind of one with it. But at some point, you know, you can only talk this talk for so long because first off, beyond AI, there's going to be other types of intelligences that arrive. You know, I, I often say the AI age is probably only the last 5, 10, 15 years. Once that happens, it'll figure out a way to become kind of quantum intelligence, intelligence that probably spans the entire universe using just subatomic matter and things like that. And so very quickly, we could get to a point when, you know, the singularity happens. And it's quite possible the singularity happens without even affecting the human race, because it just, we become like ants. I mean, yeah. what, what, what person goes out there and starts killing a bunch of ants in its environment? We don't do that. I mean, most people don't, at least it's just not, it's not useful. It's not worth our time. And so AI might just, you know, whatever it becomes might just completely leave us behind as it goes to discover the rest of the universe. I mean, you know, again, we are such a tiny little thing uh, here in the middle of the universe, us, us 8 billion little souls with three pounds of meat on our shoulders for our brains, that once this intelligent kind of takes off, it could be a trillion times smarter than us than within just a, a few years. And it probably won't even notice us anymore. And, and that's perhaps why aliens have never said hello is why this for the exact same reason is that they've become so smart. They just, they're like, when they see us as ants, we're just not worth bothering with uh, at this moment in time. Yeah, that, that's so fascinating. And, and uh, seriously, that's, that's the plot of the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix at the end the the ai it's it's basically like a singularity but the ai isn't trying to take over basically the ai's just go off together and start trying to figure out shit in the universe and i i i, I think you're right on that i think they're going to have better things to do trying to figure out how to saturate the universe with intelligence and stuff like that uh but uh well, well, and let me just let me just say it's it's incredibly anthropomorphic of us, meaning that like we constantly see AI as as we might see ourselves, forgetting what it might really mean to have an IQ of a million, <laughs> and just the capability of having uh, uh, trillions and trillions and trillions of thoughts per one hundredth of a second. You know, and and I just we're not going to be bothered. We're, I mean, we're, we're the AIs are just not going to be bothered with us. We're just going to be like almost non non entities to it and so yeah i could easily see a world where we survive in a very humble fashion not because they chose to let us survive but just because they said like we would say with ants that oh who cares right 
Right. I don't spend much time with ants, but uh, well, <laughs> I, it's fascinating stuff, uh, sir. And I, I always enjoy your thoughts on things. Uh, before before I let you go here, uh, tell our view, uh, listeners what 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 are you working on now? Like what like what are some of the you know, uh, first of all, where can they find more of your, your work, your, your, you know, I guess Twitter feed, uh, perhaps, and, and, you know, what, what's on the horizon for you right now? Sure. Well, you know, just earlier this week, uh, or last week, I launched a book called Philosophy in the Future. So if you want to get a bunch of my essays, those from the New York Times and many other places, Vice, whatnot, um, the, the latest book is all about all my philosophical essays regarding the future and transhumanism. Of course, I also wrote a novel, The Transhumanist Wager, which, uh, as we meant, talked about earlier, that sort of launched my public career. But the big thing that's actually happened um, in the last 12 months is the feature documentary, Immortality or Bust, which was four years in the making and filmed my presidential campaign in 2016, driving around that crazy coffin bus oh, that I had. Right. That came out on Amazon Prime. And if you haven't seen that, it's it's very it's very good and I, of course I just you know I had nothing to do with directing it I was just the, the I was featured you know obviously it's about me but you know I had nothing to do with creating it unfortunately it does cover my father dying in the middle of the film as I'm out there trying to overcome death with science and technology oh, wow. but all these things make for a very interesting um, documentary and you can watch it on Amazon Prime as well as a whole bunch of other places iTunes or whatnot so definitely if your listeners would go watch Immortality or Bust it's a well worth uh, hour and a half of your time to not only meet a, a bunch of characters of the transhumanism movement but to see what it's like to drive around in a 40 foot coffin, trying to talk to people, you know, in the Bible belt about these things and to see the conflicts. And the, it's just, it's a very, it's a kind of a fun adventure philosophy uh, documentary. Uh, that sounds incredible. I, I am definitely going to check that out. And, we won, uh, we won, a, won a bunch of awards as film festivals. So it's, it's definitely an interesting uh, and fun thing. That's really the biggest thing that's happened to me this year. And so I, we've been really excited because the reception to it has been, really uh really good and and it's just a great introduction to transhumanism in a kind of a wacky wild way that's amazing yeah sounds like a gonzo gonzo uh, documentary on it and uh well yeah well uh zoltan i appreciate uh the work you do and you seem like a a, a good a good voice for this kind of thing and I, I always enjoy hearing your ideas and thank you thank you for uh coming on the show and and talking to me Absolutely. Well, hey, thank you for having me. And, uh, you know, it's been great to connect with you again. All right, Zoltan, uh, take care and let's check back in. Uh, hopefully not four years from now. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. You take good care. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. The comments on Twitter, Musk says he doesn't need to see that video. He says he'll bring the sub to where the boys are found. He can test it himself. And then he wrote, sorry, pedo guy, you really did ask for it. That's a common reference to pedophilia. Now, he offered no so that was Zoltan and I discussing transhumanism. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, he gives some, some answers that, that are, I would expect from, you know, like a politician who's running for office you know, rainbows and unicorns and all good things are gonna happen from technology. Um, and he's pretty smack dab in the middle, politically speaking, and he mentions centrism several times. Um, but I don't know, I mean, I guess it will let viewers or 
listeners tell us whether anything he said was convincing. Um, I think he makes some good points. And then I think on other points, for example, deregulation, I have some problems with this idea, idea that, that everything works better deregulated and that science and technology is dependent on, on deregulation. That's dangerous to me. I think there's a case that science in the hands of a strong state is actually much better. Um, you know, I've argued this in the past. I would say the Soviet Union was much better at fucking science than the United States in a lot of cases, um, including the space race, you know, as far as being the first in space and the first human in space, too. Uh, and then um, now China, as far as a planned economy goes and tighter regulations over the technology sector than the right. United and States has currently. Absolutely. That's and interestingly, a lot of results. And, and China, notably, in, according to many technologists, is, is basically winning the AI race right, right now. I tend to believe that, honestly. And I think that as far as like their workforce goes too, there's a much more highly trained and highly skilled workforce. You know, China isn't the China of the 1990s that was manufacturing like textile products for the United States. This is a technological powerhouse at this point. But I, yeah, and, and I'm, I'm, I mean, you weren't able to ask certain questions, but I, I would imagine that if you had posed that to him as a question is, do you believe that transhumanism and the coming singularity should necessarily be state run? I, I can't imagine he would agree with that. And yet at the same time in the interview, he admits that AI is most likely, and in other interviews he's admitted, AI will most likely first become strong AI from a national uh, a nation, uh, China, US, or Russia, Right. And that na nations, not corporations, will most likely be the ones in control of a technology like that. I don't think it'll be Russia. And here it will be, uh, it won't necessarily be a nation. It'll be a private sector with basically with a grip on the nation the way that uh, tech companies have over it right now. Look at the way like social media companies, when they go to Congress, they answer questions and nothing happens, you know? Right. Yeah. I think that that would be the United States scenario. It would be a private business rising up. Maybe it's, you know, some Elon Musk venture or something like that. It's like Amazon becoming one of the largest military contractors. Yeah, it probably will be a, 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 a group it probably will be a synergized uh effort like that um but that it's an interesting question because during the space race there is no way uh, that the u.s government would have would have brought in the private sector to a major degree certainly not what we're seeing now no. and that's a, and that's essentially what the ai race is right now i mean it is the next space race in 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 almost every in fact it may be more important in determining military supremacy than even the space race was. Well, when I think of, you know, I just said that it'll probably be a private sector company. I think, I think that's true because you know what it won't be, it won't be the universities because as they become again, more inaccessible and produce less and less like qualified science and, you know, mathematicians and scientists, uh, I think the more our country will lack in the AI race 
uh, the you know the less people who can go to school the more damaging it's going to be whereas china's actually organized an effort you know a state-led effort to do that so it will be a, a private sector run thing because it'll be the people who have the resources to poach any in talent that does remain in this country to work on this project yeah it'll be interesting i don't know um but it may be amazon you know i think at, at the end of the day the government will pay for access to whatever this thing is this hypothetical ai or whatever oh sure yeah if, if, a, if a if a private company comes up with the algorithm first it'll almost assuredly become uh, a private public uh well unspoken partnership yeah a partnership. it'll be a defense be, contract it'll be basically. top secret though yeah, it, yeah. It, it will be it will be i mean there's no way strong ai is going to be seen as anything other than um uh you know military property at this point but at the end of the day though i think this the state will still uphold like an amazon or like a tesla's like right their proprietary rights to an algorithm or anything like that they won't be kicked out of the equation and nothing will be like seized from them no, well, they're going to find out ways to take downstream elements of the innovation and, and monetize it. Um, yeah. Like the upstream, you know, proprietary algorithm will be top secret, only seen by, you know, a few different eyeballs and tightly controlled. But when you get further down into like, you know, some of the applications, they're, they're going to figure out how to slowly parse it out over a decade and make, you know, trillions of dollars on it yeah that too for sure i mean that's what like google is you know this is like yeah. it, that was an algorithm developed for like the u.s defense you know the or the nsa and shit like that you know these were these are defense contracts and at the end of the day i think that's what ai you know that's how a lot of technology starts here which you know the right wing doesn't really realize is a lot of tech developments here are funded as military projects you know mm -hmm. the internet yeah, itself I mean, is is the product of u.s military sure funding. and it, it's quite possible a group like an agency like darpa already has strong ai i mean uh, darpa is probably the group that would do it or if even if they didn't do it whoever did do it they're going to be shuffling that shit over to them and and you know Right. I mean, the thing is, it already exists to some extent. Like I said, an algorithm running an Amazon employee's day or an algorithm identifying like who's depressed on Facebook and shit like that. Yeah, but that's still algorithmic. We're still not talking about like a, a, a autonomous sentient mind that is, no. you know, that, that's that's what strong AI is. And, uh, you know, yeah, it might we might not ever actually see that. It could be something, an algorithm that is so good at simulating the, the concept of a sentient consciousness that just kind of shows us what we want to hear and see again but it's still under our control i mean like reddit can isolate your account and just show you an entirely fake reddit and give you like fake upvotes and stuff like that you know what i mean like there is like um there are these uh, already these like manipulation tactics in place where you don't know like how much of it is just how much of it you know i don't know how much of it is just an algorithm at this point like you said you don't what does darpa have yeah what, we don't know what, what does jeff bezos have how yeah. where is his ai project you don't yeah, know it, we, you know and we don't know what facebook's uh what what's their top secret 
floor four or something. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. But... Facebook has uh, their, their top secret program where they're working on neural lace and AI. Of course, we have Elon Musk doing his thing. I'm sure Jeff Bezos. I'm sure my all of the major tech companies, Microsoft, they're all going to have my pillow, major <laughs> my pillow. They're, they're going to have major AI programs going on. Uh, and uh, so I don't know. It, it's it's going to be interesting to see uh, what what comes of this. But pick yeah. uh, a <laughs> They're all in on it. Yeah. No, yeah, it's. I definitely think it'll be a private sector dominated thing, though. I think they'll get it first because, again, they have the resources to devote to that stuff. Facebook has the money to burn on their AI project, whereas the government is in debt. No, I don't know. I, I, see, I, mean, I don't know that that's. I mean, <laughs> I'm not some, saying that the government isn't subsidizing those projects. Yeah, there's a more direct financial incentive for corporations, but for governments. I mean, you, you really literally are talking about the life or death of a superpower. If, if, you know, if someone gets a strong AI first, I mean, you're talking about something that could dismantle nukes, that could foment EMP. I mean, that, that from a national security standpoint, there's probably few things that are up there right now with the idea of strong AI. Uh, Joe so, Biden in charge, there's no I. <laughs> Well, that'll be the that'll be the first uh, mind upload that happens is creating a, a new brain for him. But that's no, they put him in the cloud, and that's the first person you meet <laughs> when you die. <laughs> Saint that, Peter of the cloud. That's um, it would match the Jacobin cover quite well. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah. I just think it. It. I don't think even with our state looking at that as a priority i don't think we have the talent of a china of china specifically actually i don't think we have the talent of china to actually pull off the project first you know what i mean well we're gonna find out yeah i guess so so next episode we have my guest um jesus rodriguez espinoza he was the former Consul General here for Venezuela. He worked out of Chicago. He now runs Orinoco Tribune, which is a mostly Latin American focus, but world news um, website. Uh, he's actually, it, it does pretty well. Some of our listeners have probably seen it, um, but we'll talk more to him about that next week. But we're going to talk about Venezuela, and he's a Marxist who has supported. Uh, the Maduro government and obviously voted for Chavez and everything like that. Um, so we're going to talk to him a bit about Venezuela now and Marxism in general. All right. And that's next, what time next week are we doing that? Uh, that'll be, we're recording that at the end of this week. So like two days after this episode's out, but All it'll right. be up early next week. So. All right. And as always uh, find us online. Uh, the left is dead. You can find it on Twitter Facebook, Instagram, and uh, yeah, like yeah, us. everywhere. Yep. All right. We are out and we will be back really in less than a week. So, all right. Thank you.